What if all you needed to get better in every way was available at the touch of a hand or the sound of a voice or even a vibration? Let's talk about how that happens, who can do it, and where to find them. I'm John Webster, and this is The Hesitant Healer. Greetings and welcome to another episode of The Hesitant Healer. I'm John Webster. I'm your host and I'm here with Lisa Kay. Say hey, Lisa Kay. Hey, how's everybody doing? Everybody, I think, is doing fine. Yay! Good news. Hey, let me ask you a question. Okay. You ever make a mistake? (laughs) Yes, I've made a lot of mistakes. Like, have you ever made, like, a super gigantic boner of an error, holy shit, I can't believe that mistake, like, you can't come back from it kind of thing? Yeah, I have. Yeah, several. Well, that's what we're going to talk about today. Oh, cool. All right. So, um, as a coach, even as a chef or as a, a, a business guy, I've always been really big on... It's okay to make a mistake. Mm-hmm. It's how you come back from it. So in the cooking world, especially, you can make mistakes. Mm-hmm. It's how to fix them that's the that's the key, right? Right. Um, I'll give you a quick fix, and this is a catering thing. Uh-huh. You know, if you scorch a soup, usually, like let's say barley, the one that comes to mind is a barley soup I was making at a at a catered event one time, uh-huh. and I scorched it. That means the stuff. Instead of stirring, it's stuck on the bottom of the pot. Ooh, that's bad. And it, and you can smell the right. scorching. You can smell the burning because as it bubbles up from the bottom, right in in the steam, you can smell smell the burnt. So it's kind of it's burnt, it's, but it, not burnt. It, well, it's burnt. It's okay. ruined. Okay. You you can't get that out of there. So oftentimes you'll they'll just throw it away. Most of the time they'll just throw it away. Okay. However, however, <laughs> but if, wait. You, if you catch it in time, uh-huh. the minute you smell it, you turn the burner off. Okay. You don't stir it. See, that would be my first instinct. Because you're stirring those smelly molecules into the rest of the molecules of the soup. Ah. Don't stir it. Okay. Find another pot. Ah. Pour the soup into the other pot, right? Leave the scorchy stuff uh-huh. in the pot that's burnt. Put that in the sink. Got it. Now turn the heat on slow and smell your soup. You're taking. I'm using my hand here and right. wafting the air up into my nose, right? And you still smell a little bit of scorch because it's in there. It's in the molecules, right? Right. If you take, let me guess, what a potato? No. Oh, okay. Pumpernickel bread. Pumpernickel bread. Pumpernickel bread. I have never heard this in my entire life. That's how great chefs keep staying great chefs. (laughs) And you break it up, almost a whole loaf, really. Okay. And you stir it in there and bring it up to a slow heat. Really? The pumpernickel absorbs that smell. That that, um, smoky whatever. The smoky smell. Wow. And... Uh, the bread breaks up within the confines of the soup. Oh my gosh! And the uh, uh, I want to say anise seed, but that may not be right. But whatever the the seed, whatever in pumpernickel, whatever the seed is in pumpernickel is so strong that it overpowers the smoky smell. Yet it doesn't leach into the flavor of the soup. Wow! You're welcome. Wow, America! You're, you're welcome. <laughs> and there it is. There it is. I can I can end. The, I'm going to drop my mic right now. <laughs> 
if that's all we learned today, that was that was well done. All right. So it's important to learn that it's okay to make mistakes. I'm telling you right now. I, I've I've alluded to uh, that book called The Last Lecture. Mm. Um, Randy Pouch, I think it is P A U C H Pouch. And uh, one of the last things he says in the last lecture, he says, listen, listen, your kids are going to want to draw on the walls and, yep. and write on the walls in crayon. He says, do me a favor, let them. Right. Right? Let them. Because right. it's not that fucking important. Right. It's more important to teach your kid that it's okay to be artistic than it is to spank them because they drew on your fucking wall. Yeah. All right? Yes. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be adamant about that. Okay? I, I do. I, I, yes. I do agree. Okay, so uh, mistakes are made. So today we're going to talk about some huge, gigantic mistakes that we've made and um, how you can heal from that. So what, what's your big one? You I, my- told you, I told you to come up with three. Okay. I'll let you pick any one of those three because I haven't seen what you picked. Okay. Tell me the story. Do you want them like in... Oh, Just gosh. one. Let's talk Just about one. the first one. Okay, the first one. Um, I think pretty much everybody knows that uh, I was once married uh, for 26 and a half years and uh, eventually left. Um, I think my mistake was that I should have left sooner. Uh, I got married. Not that you got married, that you should have left sooner. I should have left sooner. You know, first of all, I got three beautiful, wonderful children who I have a fabulous relationship with. So the mistake was not that you got married because you got three kids out of it. Correct. All right? Right. Um, The mistake was that uh, I get, well, during the process of our marriage, I got married because I was pregnant. <gasps> Been there, done that. Um, and, you know, for religious reasons and for the very conservative, I grew up in a real, you know, St. Louis, Missouri, and it was conservative and that whole thing. And I felt like, made my bed, I got to lie on it kind of thing. Um, but the the relationship became, he became so much more and I became, I was... I guess, you know, you have said this to me before. I was a battered woman verbally and emotionally. Do you remember what your response to that was the first 15 times I said it? <laughs> I'm not a battered woman. No. <laughs> so I got to the point even where I couldn't even make a decision for myself because I was afraid of his thoughts, of his reactions, of what he was going to do with all of that. So I um, went from, you know, pretty bold and pretty out there to almost nothing and when it finally ended um it was devastating it's you know, i didn't have a place to live i didn't have any money uh barely had my my car i had my car and clothes and that's about all i had and where did you end up moving to uh well, eventually, Southern California. No, that's not what I'm looking for. Oh, you're looking for, uh, well, I bought a mobile home at a one point. A mobile home. And how did you see yourself at that point? Uh, it was mixed. I mean, I owned the mobile home, so that was pretty cool. But the other part of that Your was... Your identification right. of well, a girl who grew up in Orange County. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Living in a mobile home. Living in a trailer park. Yeah. You were a little miffed I, for I, a while because I, I was. that was not the identity that you thought you'd had. No. You thought yourself a failure, as a matter of fact. I did. For a bit. For a really long time. I, and I I'll, have... I'll, I'll tell you, listener, we had some phone calls back then. <laughs> yes. And she was miserable 
and her kids were going to hate her and she was going to die alone and she was going to be trailer trash for the rest of her life mm-hmm. and it was just a horrible miserable thing yeah how'd that work out lisa k well it changed how did you uh, did 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 any of that come true no um in fact so let, you healed that yes but let me say did somebody do it for you no i did it I did it. So you had to change your outlook, and you had you to do. change the way you felt about yourself. You know, here's what I, a great um, example. So we've all seen, or I hope you've all seen, the. there's a Norman Rockwell painting of Thanksgiving, and the whole family's there, and everybody's smiling, and there's a big turkey, and you know, that was my goal. I wanted family. I wanted my kids. I wanted grandkids. I wanted a big house. I wanted uh, I wanted that. I wanted the beautiful, what we all want, right? That's That so was the we, goal. We all have views of ourselves, of what we want to be and who we want to be and when we grow up, and our right. environmental imprint teaches us such, and, and right. we go looking for that. Right, we do. So, I, I hung on to a marriage that was bad, uh, hoping and hoping and hoping that it was going to get better, and it never did. Um, but uh, And I was afraid when I left him what it was going to do to my kids. Let, let, can we talk a little bit about what happened? Sure. What happened? Uh, he left me for another woman. Okay. Was that the first time? No. There were other times? There were a lot of other times. That he cheated on you? Oh, yeah. And so that... that- it pretty much beat up your self-esteem. I had zero self-esteem at so, the end. So you allowed it to happen for a long time. I did. But you were also hanging on to the princess dream of what you wanted because that's what you thought was expected of you. Well, it it was the the ideal, right? It was what we thought we all wanted. The American dream. The American dream. And you know, let me let me slip in since you brought it up because mm. you, you you didn't ask me my three, but one of my three <laughs> was as a chef uh-huh. at the Red Lion Hotel in Ontario, California. I know that. Place. Who was in charge of uh, dinner uh-huh. for Thanksgiving? Uh-huh. I ran out of turkey. <gasps> On, on Thanksgiving. On Thanksgiving Day. The last 15 people did not get turkey. Oh. I didn't get fired, but I was pretty famous for quite a while. <laughs> and and I, I sat... Famous not in a good way. Not in a good way. Okay. Uh, Disneyland. I also was famous at Disneyland, not in a good way. Um, uh, yeah, chef sat across from me face to face about as close as we are now, took off his toque, leaned forward, and screamed at me, you ran out of fucking turkey at Thanksgiving. Oh. Is there anything you could have done? Was there any possible way that could have not happened? Okay, come on. D- is there? Is there? I'm like, well, uh, I could have pulled canned turkey out. I could have pulled lunch meat out. I could have, stop. Stop before you fucking embarrass yourself. Because yes, there is something you could have done. <laughs> oh. Didn't get fired. I was very surprised because I should. Really? Yeah, there's some things you, you really don't do should as, have some gotten. Some things you don't do as a chef ever. Yeah. And running out of turkey on Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving is, is one, one of those, of those things. things. Damn it. Yeah. I'm so sorry. That, that was a mistake. So, here, but hey, let me tell you. Uh huh. I never ran, ran out of turkey ever, again. Ever. Ever. <laughs> so, I can fast forward a little bit. Um, not this past weekend, uh, had the privilege of going to a wedding, a beautiful wedding, by the way. Um, uh, a dear friend of my son, uh, they played football together. They were besties uh for a really long time still are uh like brothers and i got to go to that wedding um you were invited i was invited to the wedding and that's it was right just that son 
uh, no, all of my kids. We all went. The whole fam damnly. You were invited to a wedding of one uh-huh. of your children's friends, and uh-huh. your children were all there. All of us. And they all got along, and uh-huh. nobody died. Nope. And let me tell you... Uh, eight years ago, when you were calling me crying and talking about how you were contestive of contessa of your trailer park and you were going right. to die alone, this was never going to happen. Right. So you healed from that. I did, and and it had to do with learning about uh, who you were as a person. Yes. Finding your self esteem and doing esteemable things to yes. do so. Yes. Making some hard decisions and some hard changes. Yes. Right. Leaving a spouse is a difficult decision. It leaving is. a home is a difficult decision. And leaving the place that you live in where all your friends and family are is right. a very difficult decision. But it turns out it was an okay decision because it made you a better person. I think it did. You know, I moved back to Southern California. Um, I raised my kids in a, in a small town outside of Sacramento. Um, shout out to Rockland. Shout out Woo-hoo. Rockland, California. Go Thunder. Um, I moved back here. Uh, you and I opened a, a you started, corporation. You started a business together. We did. And that was a fluke, right? It was. It, it, it was totally a fluke. Yeah. But I mean, that's that's part of the story of how you healed yourself. Right. Not that I did it. You did it yourself. But you had to make those hard decisions before right. uh, that came to fruition. For sure. Yeah? Right. Um, you know, and I will say Southern California was always the place that felt like home. So to be able to come back was amazing. And yes, uh, I looked around at this wonderful wedding. Uh, lots of friends of my kids were there. Um, the the groom, all of my children, all of their significant other people. And um, it felt very, uh, it felt like home. Now, it wasn't the Norman Rockwell painting, we were not sitting around a big table. But it wasn't horrific and you didn't no, die. No, you know what? And and maybe, here was the thought I had, uh, maybe we don't, maybe that painting doesn't exist. Perhaps it's okay to change the view of who you want to be and what you want to be. Yes. Uh, to adapt to your surroundings so that you can be a better person. I, I totally agree. Yes. Let, me, let me read you this because okay. I look I look some stuff up on the internet. Yeah, it turns out there's some famous people out there that have similar stories. I'm gonna read you one right uh, now. Okay, uh, this person, born in 1965, grew up in a tumultuous childhood that included difficult and oftentimes strained relationships with her father. And a sick mother. Mm. In 1982, at the age of 17 years old, she attempted to gain acceptance to Oxford University. She failed and was rejected and instead enrolled at the University of Exeter, where she received a Bachelor of Arts in French and Classics. (laughs) And after graduating from university at the age of 21 years old, she moved to London to work for Amnesty International in 1986. After London, she moved to Manchester with her boyfriend, and it was there in 1990 at the age of 25 years old while on a four-hour delayed train that she had the idea of a young wizard that popped into her mind and later stated that it came fully formed and all she needed to do was flesh out the details. Wow. I'm sure you already know who this is. Wow. However, it was just a few short months after that that her mother, Anne, died from multiple sclerosis, leaving her extremely distraught and upset. In the wake of her mother's death, only a few months afterwards, she moved to Porto in Portugal to teach English. Wow. And there she met a man, got married, got pregnant, gave birth to her daughter, who was born in 1993. 
you know, like you do. Right. The relationship was a very strenuous one with reports of domestic abuse resulting in a separation and eventual divorce. With only three chapters of Harry Potter completed, at the end of 1993, when she was at the age of 38 years old, she moved to Edinburgh to live with her sister. Mm. At that point, she considered herself a major failure. She had failed at just about everything she had ever attempted to do in her life. She was diagnosed with clinical depression and was suicidal. Mm -hmm. Two years later, in 1995, five years after the initial idea had come to her, she managed to finish the manuscript for Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone. Mm -hmm. She located an agent, but after one year of trying to get it published... All 12 major publishing houses had rejected her book. Mm. All fucking 12 of them. It wasn't until 1996 when a small literary house in London named Bloomsbury gave the green light and a very small advance of £1,500 £1, mm -hmm. only due to the behest of the owner's daughter that the book was published. In 1997... Seven years after the initial idea for The Young Wizard, the first Harry Potter book was published, by 2004, Rowling had become the first author to become a billionaire wow. through writing a book. Wow. How are we doing? Right? Yeah. Yeah. Considered herself a failure. Right. Right? So, you can get pretty low. Right. You can get to the bottom of some stuff, and it can still turn out okay. It can. You know, I talked about being a chef. That same place, because it, it was pretty epic. <laughs> I'm working one night, and I, I this may have been, uh, I don't remember if it was before or after the Thanksgiving incident. Okay. I'm going to say maybe after. Uh, I'm working one night. Now, in this kitchen, there's a main line, right, mm -hmm. that has the restaurant. There's several restaurants in a hotel. Okay. Right? If you have an wait, they all have the same kitchen. That's what I'm about to explain. That's a good question, Lisa. Okay. okay, thank you. So there's a main line, and there's two restaurants coming out of the main line. So okay. there's several people on this main line. One is a high-end steakhouse. The other one's just a regular cafe restaurant. So the orders come in, but they're split between the kitchen, and the kitchen splits into two different doors. Right. Got it. And there's a wall. That separates that line with entrances and exits on both sides into the main kitchen of the banquet uh, uh, kitchen. Got right? it. Uh -huh. Now, the banquet kitchen has what's called a tilt skillet. It's a huge skillet that you crank up and tilts out. So you make large batches of soup. I'm talking gallons and gallons and gallons of soups or, or macaroni and cheese or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, it's got uh, a 12-top stove burner. It's got wow. mul multiple ovens. It's got... Um, Places that are called Bain Marie's or water baths, so you can put oh. your sauces in there and hold them. It's got steamers. There's a whole bunch of stuff. And that's on the back end mm -hmm. of the wall that I just talked about. Okay. So if you picture a wall with two separate kitchens pushing against, so that's where all the gas and stuff is, right? Right. And then it's a pretty open kitchen from there. There's tables, prep tables, and refrigerators, and all of whatnot, right? So one night, I decide to, uh, it must have been after Thanksgiving because I was probably trying to kiss ass and make points right? <laughs> like i gotta make so, up for and, this and i got uh when i was a chef i was a pretty good clean freak right i cleaned mm -hmm. i scrubbed and cleaned my kitchen was going to be top notch right mm -hmm. so i decided to scrub the uh the banquet kitchen after while they were scrubbing the front of the house and and uh i started scrubbing and so 
I get to the part where um, I'm cleaning the stovetop. Right? Okay. So these are commercial stovetops. If you think about your stove at uh, at home, you got the burners and then you got the handles that turn the burners. Now, where right. those handles are, there's a little uh, uh, piece of metal that goes through to the burner. Right. And when you turn that on, it opens the gas line and the gas line comes through the burners and then you light the burners usually with an electric right. uh, pilot. Starter, right? right? Now, in a commercial kitchen... Uh, and your stove probably doesn't have one, but in a commercial kitchen, there's about a four-inch edge of stainless steel that comes out and rolls underneath in the shape of a C. Okay. And that holds pots or whatnot while you're you're, you're loading out. But it's it's quarter-inch stainless steel. It's pretty heavy, right? It's, there's, yeah. There's that's gonna not gonna 12, move. Twelve but. burners of commercial. So I start cleaning the burners and the the carbon off of these things, and I'm going pretty deep. And I go to screw one of these handles. Uh-huh. That's going to turn on the gas. And it pops off into my hand. Shouldn't do that. And I hear... Oh, no. Oh, that's bad. Not good. So, big gas smell. Oh, no. I look down. There's 12 pilots. <gasps> I start screwing this thing back on and it won't go on. Oh, I can't get it screwed back on. No. I can't get it screwed back on. And eventually... No, no, no. So here's what happened. The gas came out, and instead of forming a ball, right. it hit that C-shaped oh, okay. uh, stainless steel right. and spread oh. the eight feet <gasps> across it. Oh, no. So when it lit, what I had was an eight-foot wall of flame oh, good rolling Lord. out of the stainless steel consistently because the gas was at full notch. Oh. Now I can't get to where I can screw this thing back in. Holy shit. And I got to find the gas shut off. Right. Which logically. Should, you should, should know be in every kitchen, at right? At the edge right. of the walls. Mm-hmm. It was not. Uh oh. It was not in the side. It was not on the <gasps> other side. It was not in the front. It was not in the back. By now I got people running to and fro. Oh no. I got cooks on their knees going underneath looking for the gas shut off. Oh. I'm calling maintenance. We have an emergency. I don't want to call the fucking fire department. Right. And at this point, the only thing that's burning is metal, stainless steel. So, right. so uh, nothing's catching fire yet. Right. But in a commercial kitchen, if the Ansel system goes off, which uh-huh. is the fire suppression system that's above. Oh, so the sprinkler system. The, no, it's not sprinklers. Oh, it's no. powder. <gasps> oh. It's the stuff that comes out of a fire extinguisher, oh. except it comes out times 10. Right. Anytime an Ansel system goes off, uh-huh. kitchens are shut down for days. And oh. the fire department has to come. Oh. And there there's has a to be report. Yeah, all the things. I'm fucked. I'm looking at eight foot wall of flame. Now, at one point, uh, super surrealistic, there's five, six, seven of us standing there watching, watching this it. wall of flame and nobody's doing nothing. There's nothing that can be done. And I, I got maintenance. Maintenance guy came. He went and looked for it. He couldn't find it. Eventually, what happened was the very nice maintenance guy uh, went out to the street and shut the gas off to the hotel. Oh. The entire hotel. The entire hotel. Now, I got to call my sous chef, my the my executive sous chef, and explain he's And he's like, what? What? Oh. What? And I'm like, dude. Meanwhile, I'm pissed. Right. Because the gas shut off is not where it should be, and it should be there. Right. And accessible. <sighs> 
everything turns out okay. Nothing burns down. But I mean, nobody got hurt. Nobody got hurt. It was a a in addition to a commercial kitchen, it was a convention center. So in a whole nother kitchen, because at one point when the eighty four Olympics were there, this was one of the the. Uh, places that Olympians were and whatnot. So it was a mm-hmm. huge facility. Mm-hmm. There was one bank of 15 ovens. Like, so there were oh like, my God. there were 25, 30 different ovens that needed pilot lights lit oh. when the gas came back on. Oh, there was a. Uh, That's a, a big thing. Yeah, it took hours to clean this mess up, right? <clears throat> and then I got to explain the chef. Right. Then I explained to the sous chef. <clears throat> but that night, after considerable looking right the maintenance guy found the gas shut off where was it it was right next to where i was behind a stainless steel panel that had been caulked shut oh my gosh so it just looked like part of the wall and had not been marked or labeled (gasps) so it was inaccessible inaccessible and could not be found oh my gosh so the end of that story is, because that was early on in my career. Yes. I never, ever, ever worked in a restaurant or a hotel mm-hmm. or a kitchen mm-hmm. where I didn't know where the gas shut off was. Yeah. A hundred percent of the time. You learned. I learned right. from that mistake. Right. And although it's a fun story, it's also a thing that marked my career that was in the back of my head. Always. That I would never, ever have a problem with again. Right. 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 But but I think, you know, and here's a quick little thing. You know, my kids were in sports, and if they had uh, a season that they were less than happy with, uh, we always reviewed at the end of a season. Like, you know, how, how was baseball this year? Well, baseball sucked. I didn't get to play the position I wanted. You know, I didn't get to do this, or we lost every game, or whatever it was. And the question that I always ask my kids was, are you a better baseball player? Are you a better wrestler? Are you a better football player than you were when you started the season? Well, yeah, I learned this, this, and this. Okay, then that is the success. That's where that lies. Exactly. Thank you. Exactly. Right. So what's your number two? <laughs> um, my number two was, I, I hope you all have heard my story of uh, I had a surgical accident that happened, um, and it was during a surgery. I had one bladder sling put in, and it failed. And uh, my doctor went to my doctor, and she said, well, we'll just put another one in. And I said, do we take the first one out? She said, oh, no, 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 no. We just put another one in. Well, during that surgery, uh, there was an accident, and I technically died on my living room floor because of that. Um, And I would say, again, all turned out okay, but uh, I should have questioned what the doctor said. That that was a big This brings up an interesting point, and let's let's veer from this a bit, because you and I are both big on this. Um, and I think we're out of the era that our parents were in, which was you follow doctors blindly, right? right? When they grew up, they voted for generals for president, yeah, right? Exactly, and, right. And doctors were, you didn't question a doctor. And Ever. if you were a woman, you certainly didn't question a doctor. And I right. have, I've talked about this, I have um, 
some female clients who are in their 60s and 70s mm-hmm. who have some horrific C-section scars because nobody questioned, nobody asked, or right. they were told. And I'm still hearing horrible birth stories today about sure. uh, the the uh, the baby industrial complex of C-sections that mm. has to do with uh, shut up and take it because you're going to die, right? And I've, right. I've told you before, Julian... Mm-hmm. Uh, often says, do you know what they do to women in England who don't have their babies on time? And I'm right. like, what, what, what? He says they send them home. Right. Right? We don't cut them open. Right. right? Here in America, it's turned into an industry. It, so there, it there, has. there's a lot. But but we don't want to not follow doctor's orders, but you have right. the right to question. You have sure. the right to learn. And I'm sure if you know any doctors, they'll tell you they have those patients who come in and say, I was on the internet today and right. I saw. Or we even have commercials that are like, talk to your doctor about Farziga. Right. Well, your doctor doesn't want to fucking hear about that no. because he knows what he's doing. However, right. when it comes to something like this, right. that is a major surgery, yes. that they're going to go in and they're going to they're gonna cause a change, a physical change in your body, you have every right to question and ask and learn about and make decisions. Correct. At least get all the information that you need. Make an educated choice. And I didn't make an educated choice. I just, she said it was going to be fine. And I believed her and I ran into that. Uh, There was an accident. Uh, Could Could it have been avoided? Yeah, I think so. Well, it wasn't like she wasn't careful. It truly was an accident. Oh it, no, her her it was an accident. Obviously, her part was an accident. Um, the it took me years to recover fully from all of it. Um, Had you asked questions, what would you have done differently? Oh, you know, honestly, uh, I think about that. I would have explored and tried to find a doctor who was willing to uh, use either cadaver tissue or my own tissue because. Back in the day, so there were other options. There were other options. The, most doctors don't like them. They like the real quick. You know, the the sling is easy to do, and it's a quick operation. They, I was probably in and out uh, less than forty minutes. Um, so, I I would have tried to find a doctor who would have done it um, uh, with uh, natural ligament or uh, cadaver ligament, and that would have been a good choice. So. That's what I should have, would have, could have, but again. Uh, and you recently had a redo on that surgery, but you did make those decisions and choices on that, correct? Right. I, I did a lot of research. And how did that turn out? Uh, really, really well. Like, surprisingly well. <laughs> so, would you say because you made those decisions and better choices this time that you had a better experience with this surgery when they went in and cleaned it up this last time? Yes. All right. I would say that, for sure. I got another story from you. For okay. You. All right. For, from another famous person. Okay. I like the famous people. Born in 1958 in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Mark Cuban is an American entrepreneur and pop culture icon, Mm. owner of the Dallas Mavericks, star of the hit TV show Shark Tank. However, things weren't always so rosy for Cuban. He learned failure the hard way by failing numerous times again and again before he ever attained any semblance of fame. Now, I'm just going to stop you really quick. If you are a sports fan, you have got some strong opinions about Mark Cuban. That's all. You know, you either get, think he's great or you absolutely it, hate him. It doesn't change the story, though. No, it doesn't. doesn't. Change the story. No, no, no. In no. his earliest years, Cuban was always a tinkerer with an entrepreneurial spirit, from selling garbage bags to running newspapers and everything in between. 
Cuban learned early on how the mechanics of business worked, but that didn't mean he didn't experience the gut-wrenching pain of failure along the way. Mm. In 1982, at the age of 24 years old, he moved to Dallas, Texas, on the word of some of his college friends in a 1977 Fiat X19 that had a hole in the floorboard. (laughs) (laughs) That kind of sounds familiar. (laughs) Right? (laughs) Upon his arrival, he worked numerous odd jobs. He simply couldn't find something that he was good at. He failed at bartending because he couldn't open a bottle of wine without a cork falling in. <laughs> he failed at short order cooking because he never knew when the food was ready unless he cut off a piece and tasted it. <laughs> Been there, done that. And he failed as a salesman at a computer distributor when he was fired after less than a year on the job. Oh. Cuban simply couldn't get anything right. At the age of 25 years old, one year after he arrived in Dallas, he decided to start his own company. Micro Solutions, selling hmm. software, doing training, and configuring networks and computers. He grew that company to $30 million in revenue, and it was Whoa. later acquired by CompuServe in 1990 at the age of 32 years old. Wow. So he, at 32, is a multimillionaire. That gave him the ability to create Broadcast.com in 1995 at the age of 37. Wow. A company that was later acquired by Yahoo in 1999 <laughs> when it was sold for $5.7 billion with a B in stock. Cuban was 41 years old, famous and wealthy beyond measure. Although he had failed numerous times and had been through the ringer, he never gave up. That is a good story. There's a lot of stories like that out there. Right. right? Well, let me say, how, like, how do you define... I think as you grow older, the thing that you get better at is how you define success and how you define failure. Um, I went to, I had a really great therapist for a while, and um, she she said the fear of success is the same thing as the fear of failure. It's just got a different coat on. Wow. I like that. Wow. The fear yeah. of success is the same as the fear of failure. And that's that's real. I mean, I, mm. I've lived both of them, and they both feel the same way. So that makes a lot of sense. Right, right. You know, as a, as a chef, I was succeeding as a chef, uh, but I was still drinking through it, and I still had a mouth, and I got fired a crap load of times. Um, so in some cases, it doesn't matter how good you are. If you don't change your attitude and you don't right. change the way that you – uh, behave with other people. Right. You can still fail. Right. You can still be successful and get fired. Yes. Yes. I've I've done that a lot, man. You're I've good at it. A lot. I, I I would say I'm good. <laughs> when something works for me, I stick with it. That's right. I like that. That's right. Well, and I've told the story here on this here podcast mm-hmm. about how my first um, anatomy mm-hmm. and physiology test right i literally at the age of 37 mm-hmm. uh was running out of the room in tears mm. and my my massage teacher grabbed me by the shirt on the way out the door and said what's going on and mm. i'm like i just i went blank mm-hmm. i mean i was exhausted right. i was working 12 hours a day and then i was going and massaging 12 hours a day and then i was getting four hours of sleep i mean i was mm. exhausted but my brain didn't work that way either. Right. Right. I tried college three, four, five times and right. couldn't do it. Right. Right. And did I ever tell you that story? Hmm. The last real time I tried to go to college, okay. a local college here called Crafton Hills, mm-hmm. I thought, you know what? I'm an adult. Uh, kids are all growing. I'm going to college. God dang it. I'm going to do it. It had to be 2002 because that's when the fires were. Uh-huh. And, and, uh, 
I went in, I had this very nice counselor. He was an older black gentleman, and he's like, he's like, you know, he recognized, right? You're mm-hmm. older and you're going to school. That can be a little daunting. And he's like, uh, well, we need to take a, a test. He goes, let's pull up your uh, transcripts. Because I'd gone to Valley College when I was uh, going to cooking school. He goes, well, they're, they're pretty old and you don't have a lot. I had a whole lot of PE and a whole lot of cooking, right? <laughs> but I didn't have a lot of academic stuff, right? And so he goes, well, we need to take an English test and a math test. I said, I'll probably do okay at the English, but the math is no good. He goes, ah, everybody says that, right? I'm like, okay. <laughs> so I took the English test and he looked at it. He goes, all right, you'll make it to English 101 or whatever the hell it is. He right. says, you're in there. You're good, right? Right. And then he looks at the math. I took the math test and he looks at the math test and says, okay, let's look at the math test. Oh. <laughs> he literally just went, oh. I'm like, yeah. yeah. And then he starts drawing on this piece of paper and he's like, here's where we're at. Here's high school. Here's you. And I was way on the other end of the thing. And pretty much he's like, you got to take like pre pre algebra. I flunked oh. pre algebra four years in a row. Oh. I, I am not a math guy. I know my math skills. They're zero. Well, right? Okay. And Peggy Sue got married. If you'd have told me I would have had to do math for the rest of my life, right. art and cooking, right. I'd have been pissed. Right. But here's the thing. Even though I failed at it, I learned how to negotiate through it in a way that made sense to me. Correct. Right? And so why was I telling this story? Uh, how uh, you cooking? Def- oh, uh, anatomy, physiology. Right. So, anatomy, physiology. It didn't make sense to me, right? It, it's it's Greek, right. and when you start talking about the Greek words or the names of these body parts that were named after people, right? Mostly that, men, by the way. All, if not all, right. just logical doesn't make sense. So when we get to the shoulder and talk about the acromion process. For those of you who don't know the bones, this is the tip of your shoulder that comes off of your scapula, right? Mm-hmm. The wing at the back of your, your shoulder there. Right. They talk about the acromion process, and I'd be stuck on, why can't they just call it the bony part of your shoulder, right? The bony <laughs> part, the little sticky thing at the end. And I'd get that in my head, and I'd go through that in my head, and they'd be four bones away or four uh, muscles away, and I'd be lost. Right. So the first time we get to this anatomy physiology test, I just went blank. The words don't make sense. Nothing right. makes sense. Right. And that's not how I learned. Now, I had learned in the Army... Because that I, I first of all, I learned how I learned in the army. If right. I'm being yelled at, I learn really well. Really, if you're throwing shit at me, I get it. <laughs> if you're shooting at me and and it's going over my head, I'm totally invested in learning that lesson. <laughs> it makes a lot of <laughs> it sense makes to sense me, right there. Yes. Right. If there's something being thrown at me, mm. I'm in. Right. But what I learned was, if I sit in the front of the class, right. I can pay better attention. Correct. Because if I do fall asleep, they'll throw shit at me. Right. And the other thing is, I'm a tactile learner. I have to do multiple things at once. Right. Growing up, they didn't teach that shit. I was ADD, and they threw medication at it, and I I didn't learn that way, right? Right. And even to this day, right, that, that, I don't know who came up with it, but there's a a famous cartoon of, of... uh, four blind guys touch an elephant. Oh right? yeah, yeah, right? yeah, yeah. And, and t- tell us your experience. Each one of them learned a different way, right? Right. right. And so, I, I, once I learned how to do that, sit in front of the classroom, take notes, and have something to play with, right? Then I can learn better. Then it makes more sense to me. Then I can I can absorb it. And just so you know, nowadays, kids like you, 
uh, they prescribe them, uh, they call them fidgets or whatever they, uh, something for them to hold in their hands while they are listening. That is like something fidget, that, fidget spinners? Yeah, like that. But but they could be anything. We used to take, um, when I was in special education, we used to take a, a small balloon and uh, put it inside another small balloon, fill it with rice, and then you tie it off. And um, then they can roll it in their hands. It's very tactile. Makes makes a lot of sense. Right. So, uh, unfortunately here, I'm going to run out of some time here, but, okay. but we want to prove our point here that, that it's okay to make mistakes. Right. Right? It's, it's, it's pretty normal to feel like a failure sometimes and to fuck some stuff up. Mm-hmm. And you can come back from this. Yes. No matter how horrific or how detrimental or how earth-shattering or how horrible a failure you feel at this moment, mm-hmm. know that this will end. Yes. And that it can get better. Yeah. And that you can overcome it and you can be somebody different. Mm-hmm. And someday you could be Oprah Winfrey. <laughs> I'll tell you why. Well, okay. Oprah was born in 1954 in Kazuko, Mississippi, and a single with a teenage single mother. Uh, Winfrey grew up in a sheer state of utter poverty for most of her childhood life, living with her grandmother during those years. When she was six years old, she moved in with her mother in Wisconsin, about the time her mother had another daughter, becoming Winfrey's half-sister. During those early years, Winfrey says she was sexually molested by her cousin, her uncle, and a family friend. Wow. Horrific. At the age of 13 years old, she ran away from home. Uh, I think she should have. At 14 years old, she was pregnant and gave birth prematurely to a baby that died shortly after birth. I mean, that's some shit right there. Right. At age of 17 years old, she won a beauty pageant and inherited, I'm sorry, and interned at a radio station, creating a love for the media Mm -hmm. and eventually landing a job after college as a news anchor in Nashville. After college, she moved to Baltimore to co-anchor the news, but was later removed by the producer for being unfit for television. Ooh. And I think I heard her say one time they told her she was fat. I'm pretty sure. Oh, okay. In 1983, at the age of 29 years old, she relocated to Chicago and took over a fledgling show called AM Chicago, which would ultimately become the Oprah Winfrey Show. Wow. She became the highest ranked talk show in Chicago, and today she is a multi-billionaire with a B and Mm -hmm. has had a major impact on large parts of the world. Mm -hmm. Oprah was able to overcome multiple failures failures in her life but did not give up, and because of it, she reached international fame and is known around the world as a household name. Right. right? Everybody knows Oprah, if you say that. Yes. I'll give you another real quick example. Okay. Taylor fucking Swift. (laughs) <laughs> right think about kanye west coming up to her when she won that thing and all oh, that shit he threw at her right and i swear to god if i was her i would be every day how right. are we doing kanye right <laughs> i would be texting him hey on, she's on top of the world right now she right? is yes okay so enough of that but listen i think you got our message we hope you heard it mm-hmm. i want you to take an evaluation of some of the failures of your life and and turn those frowns upside down make lemonade out of them lemons right I think it's even bigger than that. It's it's um, you take the failure and you let you learn the lesson. Uh, you know, you take your lumps, what, however you want to say it. You learn the lesson, and it becomes a part of your the tapestry that is your life. Nice, that's a nice end right there. Right. All right, I'm John Webster. I'm the hesitant healer. Say bye, Lisa Kay. Bye, everybody. Be good humans. Be good humans. Go hug a tree. Peace out, dogs. <laughs>